The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The Gospel of the Lord. Hey, good morning. Uh, if you are a guest with us, my name is Drew. I'm the pastor of Discipleship, and I'm excited to be with you as we continue through Advent. And it's a little bit dreary outside. I'm just going to put this here. Um, it's a little bit dreary outside, but we're not going to let that get our mood down in here, right? All right, great. Well, you agreed to it, so here we go. No, it's good to be with you. Uh, it's been really exciting to walk through this season and uh, to look at these stories that we have. And I'm so excited for today. Uh, I really think this is going to be encouraging, hopefully, and challenging. I was thinking about, in preparation for this, um, I was actually talking to somebody yesterday. They were asking about Christmas at a, at a party. And our son Silas, he's about to turn three in January. And they were like, does he get it? Like, is it exciting? And I was like, yeah, he's starting to get it. He knows that we have a Christmas tree. He knows he's not supposed to touch it. And he also knows that he loves pulling ornaments off and trying to smash them. He's getting these aspects of Christmas. But um, it made me think back to when he was two years old last year and how excited I was to, to go out and buy gifts and get things for him. And you're just excited. You think that they're going to love it and, and all of these things you're going to give them. You can't wait to see their face when they open the presents and all that fun stuff, right? And so um, I'm like a little kid buying these gifts and they get wrapped and I'm watching and I'm like, this is going to be amazing. He's going to love these gifts. And he, with help, tears them open. And then what does he do? He spends like the next half hour playing with the Amazon box, right? He doesn't even, doesn't even care about the gifts inside. He, he loves the box. He's sitting in the box. He's pushing the box around. Um, but for me, an unexpected response. I thought he was going to be excited about the gift. He's excited about the box. Um, in life, a lot of times we respond to things in expected ways, right? If something goes good, we're happy or we're filled with maybe joy, excitement. If something goes bad, maybe sadness, disappointment, frustration, when things get intense, our immediate response is often maybe one of anxiety. When things get scary, our initial response is fear, and, and so on. What we see today in this passage as we continue in Advent and we look at Mary, um, the mother of Jesus, what we see is a very unexpected response. Given the circumstance and situation she finds herself in, we're going to see a 15-year-old 
tasked with something far beyond her understanding and comfort, respond in a song of praise. And it begs this big question, how is Mary able to respond to the situation that she finds herself in, in worship? Another way to think of this is in the face of the unexpected, in the face of the uninvited, the unknown, how is Mary able to find peace, even joy, instead of being riddled with anxiety, fear, distraction, discouragement, doubt? And how can we do the same? So let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into this passage together in Luke 1. Jesus, thank you for your love, your grace, and your kindness. I pray that you'd speak to us now over these next few minutes out of your word. God, you know exactly where we are this morning, every single one of us. Um, Some of us have carried in stuff that is very heavy. It's weighing on us. Maybe it's become a distraction. Maybe it's uh, just become an incredible discouragement. Maybe there's um, somebody just feels just tired today. Um, maybe many feel just worn out. Maybe there's great joy, great anticipation, celebration. Um, God, maybe there's questions, doubts, fears. God, wherever we are today, you know our heart. I pray that you would speak to us now through your word. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. So let's walk through this together. First, Mary worships in the unexpected so here's a little bit of a, of a recap. We're not going to look at this. This isn't our main passage we're going to look at, um, but it gives us a glimpse, an idea. I know a lot of us know this story. We know this account, but it's important for us to think back on so we know the situation here in the scene that's set up. So starting in verse 30, it says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid. So the angel comes, talks to Mary. Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, good question here. How will this be since I'm a virgin? Decent question. For nothing will be impossible with God is the response. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So Mary, after hearing this, she immediately goes to her cousin's house, Elizabeth. And Paul walked us through this last week. Elizabeth is told, along with Zachariah, you're going to have a child. And uh, by the way, Elizabeth and Zachariah, old in age, far past the age of childbearing. Elizabeth was barren. And so this miraculous birth that they're told about, you're going to have a child. His name's going to be John. He's going to go before Jesus. He's going to prepare the way. He's going to call people to repentance and salvation before Jesus comes on the scene. And this is Mary's older cousin. And so she immediately goes there. And she stays with Elizabeth. And when she arrives, Elizabeth greets her and she says, you are blessed to be carrying Jesus. And here's how Mary responds. Verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, I can't overstate this just so we're fully aware. Mary, 15 years old, no reputation, no wealth, no stature in society to be the mother of the very son of God. Oh yeah, and she's a virgin and she's engaged, but she's not married. And so this begs the question, why? Why would God choose someone like Mary for this role? Couldn't he find someone more adequate for this role? Why did he choose Mary? If we were tasked as a group today to form essentially a a search committee to find a suitable person to 
uh, carry the Son of God, right? And more than that, a family to watch over, raise, and care for him, we would probably have a lot of criteria. We would probably come up with several things that we would be looking for. Stable finances, maybe a strong name in the community, a couple with other children who have had some experience in raising a child. Hey, we don't want them dropping the Son of God, right? (laughs) And the list goes on and on and on. Probably not on that list two kids who aren't married yet under the age of 18. And yet, this is who God chooses to be the mother of the promised Savior, the Messiah, the very Son of God, Jesus. And her response to this unexpected news, an unexpected choice that God makes, isn't one of anger, frustration, doubt, or fear. Instead, what does she do? She breaks out in song. She begins to worship God. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, which means magnificat, which is what this is called, the song of Mary, the magnificat. I want to say this to a minute for students, and I really mean this. Hear this. God wants to use you now, where you are, in your sphere of influence. You might say, nobody would expect that. I'm not old enough. I haven't done enough. I haven't lived enough. Don't believe that lie. God wants to use you to make an impact on your teams, in your clubs, in your school, at your work, in your neighborhood. Don't believe what I believed when I was my age. You know, maybe when I get older, maybe when I'm more seasoned, maybe when I have more life underneath my belt, maybe, maybe God will want to do something with me then. Do you know historically how different evangelistic revivals have broken out through the young? Through a generation passionate about God, spurred by the Holy Spirit to share that good news with others. And it's amazing what God does in the unexpected. So don't discount yourself, students. Don't say, hey, I'm just going to make it through my way to college, and then I'll make it through college. And then, you know, maybe down the road, maybe God will want to do something. Maybe he'll use me. Uh Uh-uh. He wants to use you now, where you are, to change lives, to impact the kingdom. And this is true for everyone else as well. Yes, continue to learn about him, continue to grow in him, but don't think that you have to know it all before you open your mouth and tell others about him. There could be kids right now and one kid's hearing the story of God with us that could absolutely change their school and their neighborhood. And so students, know that he wants to use you and know that we're behind you, right? 100%. This is for all of us. Mary's words show us so much here. Her spirit didn't rejoice, you'll notice, in the promise of a perfect life, the security of a full bank account, the idea of a future that looked a certain way. What does it say? Her spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is her foundation. This is her rock. This is her center. What becomes very clear in this passage is that Mary actually knew the scripture probably pretty well. She heard these stories. We don't have time to jump into it, but her song actually uh, resembles incredibly closely the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2, if you ever want to go look at that. It's amazing. Mary most likely grew up hearing these stories. She knew the faithfulness of God. She knew what God did with Abraham and Sarah. She knew of this coming Messiah. She knew that God shut the mouth of the lions to protect Daniel. She knew how God led his people out of Egypt. She knew these stories, and it shows here this story of God's faithfulness and how he used these unexpected people to point to the long-expected Jesus that's coming. And what does this show when God does this? What happens? It puts his power on display when he uses unexpected people in unexpected situations because it points to him. 
How did this happen? How did God do that? Da, 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 da. Points to him, his power, his might. I love the contrast here between Mary and Elizabeth. One is in the final stage of her life, and one is still at the beginning stage of her life. And yet God chooses to use them both in a powerful way to continue his mission moving forward, this mission of redemption. So whether you're 15 or you're 85, as long as you have breath in your lungs, God wants to use you here and now. Don't let anybody tell you different. Not only does she worship in the unexpected, Mary didn't expect this, we also see worship in the uninvited. Look at verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This humble estate. Mary's Mary's not talking figuratively here. She didn't have a name for herself. She didn't come from nobility. She didn't have earthly wealth. She grew up in a small, humble town with plans to marry and to live a small, humble, quiet life to a carpenter. And that's what everybody else would have expected too. Not only was this news and plan not what she expected, but it was uninvited in the sense that she didn't ask for this. Her plans in life are completely disrupted at this very, very young age. I don't think we really grasp how difficult Mary's life would be from here on out. It wasn't like, oh, you get to carry Jesus. Like, good for you. Let's throw a celebration. Let's party. We, we won't think about that whole virgin thing and like how that worked out. Like, this is going to be great, right? No, no, no. Many would have seen Mary as a complete liar the rest of her life. There's no way that you bore this son, Jesus. Like, come on, tell us the truth. She would have been the talk of gossip in town and everywhere she went as she humbly served. She would watch her very son grow up, one that she loved and cared for, be rejected, be mocked, and then she would endure the most difficult thing of her life by literally watching him be murdered by a crowd that would spit on him. Mary's life was not going to be one of ease. Her life is going to be turned upside down in ways that she could have never imagined or expected but all a part of God's unfolding plan. And so, yeah, it would have been easy and expected for her to respond with anger, resentment, pushback. Like, hey, I think you tapped the wrong Mary. Like, there's one over here. It seems like she'd be more qualified for this. But she doesn't. Instead, she responds in worship. Amazing. When life goes in a direction that you didn't expect it to take, and comfort and security are taken away that you've been leaning into, how do you respond? How do we respond? How is Mary able to worship God? How are we able to worship God in the uninvited season circumstance of life? Here's what it shows us here very clearly. One word, humility. Humility. Humility that leads to mercy. Do you notice she doesn't talk about herself a lot in this passage? In fact, what she uses is a word, he, he, his, over and over He has looked. He who is mighty. Holy is his name. It's his mercy. She goes on to say, he has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has filled the hungry. Mary embraced something that's so important and changes everything. She saw her life as a part of God's 
greater story. She didn't see God as a part of her greater story. Do you get that? And so that changes the way that she would think about her very life. And we might know the first to be true. Okay, this is God's greater story and we're in it. But how often do we live the second out? (laughs) I know I do. Like, God, I'm cool if you're over here in my life and over here. Oh, please don't touch that. I really don't want you touching that thing. But I'm okay if you fit into these pockets and these corners on my timetable or in my calendar. And Mary basically just comes to this place where she says, hey, I'm, I'm yours. I'm a humble servant. <laughs> this, what you're doing is far greater than, than what I could even know or understand or comprehend. It's amazing. Mary's entire Life is marked by humility that points to the one that is currently in her very womb, Jesus. This promised Savior, we've gone through the book of John, who's going to turn the world on its head, who's going to show grace when others don't show grace, who's going to talk about forgiveness, who's going to talk about loving your enemies, who's going to talk about sacrificial giving, who's literally going to say it's better to serve than to be served, things that no one had heard, many didn't want to hear, That's this king who's coming. Unlike other religious leaders and beliefs, Jesus is coming to offer forgiveness and freedom, grace, compassion, peace, love, joy, and hope and mercy to those who who have been good enough, who are rich, who have high stature, who come from the right family, certain color of skin, certain age of sex. No. He is coming to offer this gift of hope and eternal life, mercy to any and every man, woman, and child that would humble themselves to this gracious king and embrace his grace as they are, not a cleaned up version, saying, I humbly come to you, who will trust in him over fears and doubts and failures and circumstance, and that includes you. This beautiful hope that we find in Jesus, this hope of Christmas, this hope of the coming king. I love what John Piper says. He says, God is a lover of the lowly, that he cares for his kids. He looks out for the rejected. He looks for us in seasons that are tough and difficult, when we're put down, when we're worn out, when we feel like we're on our last leg in every season, in every circumstance, to everyone who humbles themselves to him. And being lowly isn't simply about what you have or what you don't have. It's a posture of laying your life at the feet of Jesus and taking up his first and foremost. What he's talking about or what Mary's talking about here is a matter of the heart, not of things. Where do you find your wealth? Where do you find your purpose? Where do you find your worth? Is it in him? Look on in verse 51. It says, he has shown strength with his arm. I love this. This is an idea of a savior who's literally wrapping his arms around the helpless. By the way, that's us. I know it's humbling to hear that, but it's true. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. People who are hopeless, people who are helpless, people who found themselves in difficult situations and circumstances. Think about God's people back in Exodus, right? In slavery. Think about that. And even think about us today as we wrestle with sin, as we wrestle in this world. I know there are some invited, uninvited seasons and circumstances filling this room today. We could probably go around and share those. We're not going to. I know there are. 
either in your life or in people you know that are close to you. Things you didn't ask for, things you don't want, things you wish would go away. And maybe this is what you need to hear today. Maybe this would be encouraging to you in this moment to know that God has you. Literally, you. He has you today. He has you tomorrow. He has your children. He has your finances. He has your health. He has your doubts. He has your fears. This God of Abraham, this God of Isaac, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who made the blind to see, the God who made the lame to walk, who would humble himself to come in the form of a baby to live 33 years and then die at the hands of sinners like you and me, overcoming death, overcoming sin, overcoming fear, greater than the unknown, all out of a love for humanity. He knows you and he has you because he loves you. That's this king. I love what Corrie ten Boom says. If you don't know anything about her, her family helped hide Jewish people during the Nazi reign, and she eventually found herself in a concentration camp for doing that. And in her book, The Hiding Place, she says this, no pit is so deep that God is not deeper still. Whatever situation or circumstance you might find yourself in, God has you in it. And if you know the Savior Jesus and you embrace his grace, there's a beauty here that this is not just for you, but it's for others. Parents, it's for your kids. They're looking to you to see where your hope is found. Big brothers, big sisters, your siblings are looking for you. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins. This hope is in one that is passed from generation to generation, as Mary says here. Even if you're the first one in that circle, if you embrace this grace, you have an opportunity to pass this truth down. I love it when Mary says this, that I'll be blessed from generation to generation, that this news is going to continue as his mission moves forward. And finally, she worships in the unknown. These last verses, it says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to this offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. There would be a lot of unknowns in the rest of Mary's life. There's no way she could have known exactly how this was going to unfold and unpack. So I love how Mary finishes her song by pointing us back. She points us back, reminding us that God has been good on his promises and that he will continue to be good on his promises. Hey, remember, he helped his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy, remember he spoke to our father Abraham. He's good. He's trustworthy. He's kept all of his promises, and he's going to continue to do that. And so what we see out of that is this faith, this faith that she knows, this faith that we've been looking at throughout the entire Advent season, trusting that this is a God of promises, that by faith, Abraham and Sarah received the son that God promised them, even though they were too old to bear children. That by faith, Isaiah would speak the truth of God to the people, calling them back to him, regardless of consequence, time and time again. That by faith, Elizabeth and Zechariah received the son God promised them, even though they were too old to bear children. By faith, John the Baptist would go before Jesus, calling people to repentance and salvation, even though it would cost him his very life. And by faith, Mary and Joseph would accept God's plan, a plan that didn't make sense on paper at all, and become earthly parents to the very Son of God. These weren't perfect people. They were flawed. They didn't have it all together, but they had one thing in common. They were humble servants who trusted in God and whose lives all pointed to someone else greater than them, Jesus. 
And in that, they're able to worship. In that, peace comes. In that, joy comes, regardless of circumstance, regardless of situation. God has a perfect track record of keeping his promises that goes all the way back to Genesis and stretches all the way forward into our life today. And no, it doesn't always look like we expect. Sometimes it doesn't look like we hoped for or thought it would. And oftentimes we can't see the whole picture. But the God that has kept his promises in the past will keep his promise in the present. Know this, he won't let you go. Even when it's hard to believe. Even when the days feel too long. (laughs) Even when you feel like throwing in the towel. Know that this is a God who loves his kid so much that he would give his own son for you. Even in the unexpected, the uninvited, the unknown, he's still working for your good. And the proof? Jesus, the Son of God, the hope of the world, who came in the most unexpected way in the form of a baby, born to teenagers born in a manger to a world where he would become the uninvited, where he'd be rejected, where he'd be mocked, where he'd be murdered, all to step into our place, into our unknown, as the helpless and hopeless, dead in sin. He would offer solution by giving his very life to bring us the hope of salvation. And that's the hope of Advent. And that's the hope of Christmas. And that's the hope we have the opportunity to carry out into our community. And that's the hope this world needs because it is the only living and lasting hope you can have. And it's everything. May your wealth be found in that hope, not in things, not in trinkets, May your wealth be found in Jesus and the hope that he has offered us, this long-expected king. How was Mary able to worship? She believed these truths about God's goodness, and she humbly placed her life under him and his plan. Big idea for today is this, humbly embracing God's goodness, it allows us to respond in worship through the unexpected, the uninvited, and the unknown. So maybe today is a response. Where is there a need for humility? Maybe you've been trying to do things on your own. Maybe um, you've placed God sort of in this spot in your story, and you're realizing, hey, this is not how this should look. I need to humble myself to him. Maybe it's been wrestling with sin, and today is a day of repentance, turning away from that, turning toward God, coming with humility saying, I give you my life, I offer it. And maybe on the other side, it's taking the form of a servant, saying, hey, I've been living in a certain way where it's all about me or it's all about what I want. I want to serve you. I want my life to reflect you. I want my life to be about making you known anywhere and everywhere I go, the relationships that I have. What does that look like today to hand these things over to him, to take up this hope as humble servants? I love this season because it reminds us so much of the goodness of our king, a king who would leave heaven and come to this world so that we could be with him in heaven one day. Humbly embracing God's goodness allows us to respond and worship through the unexpected, the uninvited, and the unknown. May we be a people who constantly worship him 
in and out of season. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for your love. I pray that you would speak to our hearts in a profound way. God, you would bring us closer to you. Thank you, Jesus, for your very life. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for doing what we could not do, going where we could not go. I pray that we would take the posture of humble servants. I thank you for the example of Mary that points to you. I thank you for her faithfulness. I thank you for her heart to love you, to serve you, regardless of the cost. Jesus, may we be a people that worship you no matter what. No matter what today holds, no matter what comes, may you be our rock, our foundation. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.